You're listening to NFT 365, the first daily podcast on NFTs with your host, Fanzo, talking crypto, blockchain, Web3, non-fungible tokens, metaverse, and what the f*** is a non-fungible token? We'll get to that. It's time for today's episode of NFT 365, the only daily NFT podcast minting an NFT every day for 365 days. Powered by the ADHD coin at rally.io, here's your host and digital futurist, the ADHD superpowered Brian Fenzo. This show is not financial advice, so do your own damn research. What's up, friends? Welcome back to another episode of NFT 365. As you know, I'm your host, Brian Fanzo. I am a digital futurist, full-time keynote speaker. This is my seventh podcast that I've had the luxury uh, of hosting over many, many years. And I am a proud girl dad of three amazing little girls living here in Northern Virginia, born and raised in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, had the luxury of playing college hockey, uh, worked in cybersecurity for about a decade, uh, and then went on to work what I would consider my dream job at a startup, which was a technology evangelist. And well, for the last seven plus years, I've been talking for a living. Uh, that's right. You know, My mom likes to say I came out of the womb talking, and really, um, now I get paid to talk, right? I get paid to speak on stages. I get paid uh, to talk uh, here on the podcast. Well, I'm not really getting paid for this, but hey, I digress. Uh, and I, you know, I wanted to kind of share that intro because it kind of sets the stage for this uh, episode as well. Um, for me, you know, I was diagnosed ADHD um, wild enough <laughs> to believe it's almost ten years ago, and. You know, for me, that day changed my life. It changed my uh, approach to life. And not because I wasn't successful leading up to that. Actually, quite the opposite. I was uh, extremely successful, yet still struggled and still struggle to this day with doing a lot of the uh, the tasks that others kind of seem uh, uh, look at as kind of normal or just, you know, part of their day-to-day um, lives. And, and so for me, the day I was diagnosed was really a day that I went from feeling broken to just recognizing that I was different and my brain worked differently. And for me, like that feeling was like, Oh, wait a second. Like I just walked to my own beat. I, I have, I approached things differently, right? The reason I'm emotional or hyper emotional is because my brain processes things differently than those that are neurotypical. And the reason that like people assume that I'm a massive extrovert and everything uh, for me in the public light is part of my like DNA when they don't realize that like forced conversation overwhelms me. I don't like picking up the phone uh, to call people out of the blue because that idea of like disrupting someone's day-to-day life has always overwhelmed me. Um, I often struggle with some of the the things around um, what most would, would believe are, uh, are part of the, you know, even the, the success that I've had, right, from everything from, you know, uh, process and planning uh, to, you know, being able to be consistent. And, you know, that consistency element is something, you know, I, it's funny, even I was on stage uh, last week and someone asked a question about um, consistency. And I said, well, you know, it's something I've always struggled with my entire life. And as I came out of my mouth, <laughs> I was like, man, is, is that something I can no longer say? Because 
I mean, we're doing a podcast now, 180 plus episodes in a row. We're on our way to 365 episodes. But here's the truth that I wanted to kind of put out there is just because I'm executing on this doesn't mean it's not still a struggle. And I guess part of that also kind of comes into this idea of, you know, I, I, I don't like to put a label on um, the way that we're feeling, but, you know, if you are, you know, for a lot of us, when we think about a project or an idea, there's things that we like to put in the way to either help us from feeling like it's something that we should execute on, or we've been told all of our entire lives, right? Like much of my life, people would say things like, Brian, imagine if you just focused on one thing. I remember getting promoted, um, a, a big promotion, that, pretty much the biggest promotion of my life in my career. And that was actually a caveat that I was given was like, Brian, so proud of you. I mean, this is amazing. But just imagine if you had just focused on one thing, how much more successful you had been. And for me, that was always interesting. because I was like, wait a second, because I I believe my ability to get promoted in this arena, this, uh, you know, opportunity was actually because of my, my, the fact I wasn't just focused on one thing and I was able to bring uh, a different viewpoint, a different perspective, uh, to what was going on. And I will say like, for those that watch on the YouTube video, you know, I'm wearing a shirt. The shirt just simply says be heard, uh, across, uh, the front of the shirt. It's actually a swag shirt that I got from a, 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 a past client that I worked at, uh, worked with called quick. And, but it's funny because I didn't wear, I didn't wear this shirt thinking that I was going to talk about this on this episode, but I, I think kind of the, the world kind of aligns perfectly on that. And I, and I want to just say like the reason that I think this is so important is that I believe a lot of us, you know, we want to support and collect slow burn NFT projects. And for those that aren't familiar with that terminology, a slow burn NFT project is a project that doesn't sell out right away or in the first, you know, 48, uh, 72 hours, but it's a project that takes a while to kind of grow that initial fan base and then to grow and expand and, you know, even expand beyond that. And I will say, like, we love supporting those slow burns. We, we love the concept of slow burns. But the truth is, when you were, if you're thinking about launching your own project, nobody really sets out and says, I hope my project is a slow burn project. And if you do, you're lying to yourself because you wouldn't put out a certain amount of supply and a certain amount of effort if you weren't hoping that all of the right people were there to buy that, that NFT or buy that collection. And the truth about that is I don't, I'm, I'm no different. Right. And, you know, even when we launched our original founders, NFTs and our mint 365 NFTs, people would say, well, Brian, you know, uh, with that podcast and your audience, like it should sell out right away. And I would say things like, I don't really care about it selling out right away because for me, this is a a long-term play, which was not a lie, but the, the, the element of that, the truth that is kind of missing from that is that I would have loved for it to sell out overnight. I would love for it to be massively traded uh, on a secondary market right now. I would love for um, you know it to be something that was not um, you know a slow burn. That was not something that you know needed to take more time on on educating people on their role and how it fits into you know their day to day lives. And so the reason I bring that all up is. You know, this term imposter syndrome, and I'm not sure if everyone is familiar with it, but it is definitely something that has gone around the self-help, personal development, marketing speaker realm is, um, is intense. And 
the first thing I want to say is that most might believe that if I'm doing a podcast every day and I'm getting to get on stages every day and I have people that are pulling me up in Twitter spaces, they, you probably are believing that, you know, hey, Brian doesn't suffer or struggle with imposter syndrome. And here's the, the truth is you couldn't be further from the truth. You know, whenever, I, you know, for me, I oftentimes seek, you know, third party or outside validation or support or, um, you know, I tell you, I, I say this a lot in our you know podcast, how much it means to me when someone leaves a review or they post uh, about an episode in our discord. And here's the truth to that. The reason that I really love when people are like, Brian, during episode 145, I really love this point. Is th- the truth is it it confirms that like what th- there was val there was a valid need for me to share this topic because interestingly enough, imposter syndrome or what we consider like we're afraid you know to fail or it's not even afraid to fail in some cases we're afraid to succeed like this is the truth. In many cases, the reason that we don't press the damn button, the reason that we don't start something is because we tell ourselves, oh my gosh, what if this sells out? What if this is the greatest NFT project in the history of NFT projects? I'm not prepared to do that. I have, I have my kids to manage. We have a, a spring break going on. We have, and what we end up doing is we use all of these things to be like, okay, that's why I'm not going to get started right now. And, you know, for me, press the damn button, for those that aren't familiar, you know, it's a talk that I started giving in 2016. And it came out of frustration, frustration for so many great people that were that were thinking about starting live video. And this was where, where live video was just emerging on the scene. Facebook Live wasn't even out yet. It was mostly Periscope and Meerkat and Blab. Rest in peace to all three of those platforms, which is kind of sad. But I was getting frustrated because I would meet these amazing people and they would be like, Brian, I need a formula. I need a plan. I need a procedure. And I, Hey, I'm not one that needs those things, but I respect those that need those things. And they they would, I would help them build that out. We would go through different things and they would come back three, six, 12 months later and say, Brian, I have this plan. I have this idea. I have this, this whole thing, you know, kind of wrapped in, but you know, I'm hoping to get motivated because I haven't got started yet. And I was getting so damn frustrated because I was like, just press the damn button. Like you don't know what works until you get started. And the, the, the delay, the, the overwhelm, like the things that we put behind all of this can be massive in, all, in our way. And, and the, the irony of this is I struggle with that pretty regularly in my personal life. The idea of Brian, just rip, go rip the bandaid off, Brian. Brian, go go make that phone call. Brian, you know, I am I am one and, and I and I'm being you know, fairly vulnerable here in just the sense that like if there's a high likelihood of something being good news, but still a probability of it being bad news, I would prefer to push it off for as long as humanly possible. And uh, I believe part of that is, you know, what was referred to for neurodiversity is uh, you know, it's rejection sensitivity dysphoria where we often, um, we, we really wor- worry, we struggle with this idea of not only being rejected, but how we, we take in rejection. And I've shared this, you know, in the past, and I, I'm very open, you know, for me, being yelled at as, a, as an athlete 
was something that I didn't know how to control my emotions since I was as long as I could ever remember. I think 12 years old, I remember getting, um, <laughs> it's kind of wild to think about now, right? I remember not being able to play in a doubleheader baseball game because I cried uh, when I struck out. And the the crazy thing about this, like thinking back, is that people assumed like I cry, you know, like I was that, like, you know, they were that kid, like, you know, grow a set of balls or pick yourself up or nobody cries in baseball, but they didn't understand that like that emotion to me was because I wanted it so damn bad that I worked really hard. It wasn't, it wasn't cry. It was in, and in some cases crying for me in, in sports, I remember, you know, that was when I was young, 12 years old. I remember being 20 years old and being a, a junior in, on our hockey team in college and the coach, I mean, we had a really bad, really bad um, shift. And I remember the coach gave us some advice and things to try when we get out on the ice. And I, I went hardcore at making that happen, like just kind of doing exactly what the coach had told us. And I remember coming to the bench and just getting ripped a new one. I remember him grabbing my my mask and just yelling, uh, and rightfully so, because I hadn't done exactly what um, he had said. And, and, and ultimately, I, I kind of like leaned into doing it my own way. And I remember I just started crying there on the bench and I remember just letting out that emotion. And I remember looking at him being like, I know that he looks at this as a sign of weakness, but like for me, it's just a sign of how much I care, how much I want to be successful, how much I believe and I, I, I want to be better. You know, I got on the ice and I got to a spot where I decided to think like myself and not do what the coach said, but not because I was trying to define the coach, right? It was more of just how I react in those moments. And I say all of that because, you know, I've always preached kind of the idea that like the reason that I feel like I can press the damn button is because failure, like, like failure for so much, so many of us can be about like, we don't want to fail, but yet we hear things like failure is a necessary step on the part of success. Or we talk about, and I've always said that like, I just don't think we explain how hard failure can be and how tough failure can be on us, right? Like failure sucks. Like no one really says that, right? They feel like, oh, if you failed, don't worry, you're going to learn from it and be better next time. Like we should start off by saying that sucks and I'm sorry. And what can we do in those moments? Because failure can be brutal and it can be longer than we ever thought. It can be harder than we've ever thought. It can be a mental, you know, a mental wear that we weren't ever prepared for or hadn't ever dealt with in our, in our lives before. But I, I, I've, I've always looked at it and said like the reason that I've been okay with failure throughout my life is that my dad has instilled in me since I was very young that like failure is going to happen, but it cannot, you you must believe that it is not an end state. It is not something that will be there for forever and that you're going to eventually come out and you will never settle for failure. But at the same time, in this NFT space, this can be pretty brutal. And I want to tie this all back around. For those that aren't aware, like the Azuki, uh, the Azukis, which is a uh, what most considered a, a blue chip or on its way to blue chip um, NFT project that launched a couple months back. The the founders uh, yesterday, the day before we are recording this episode, so on May 9th, uh, they they uh, put the or he 
um, put out a blog post. Um, and the blog post pretty much just openly admitted that a lot of the success that he believed Azuki's was um, capable of, of finding was because he was actually a part of two rug pulls, uh, the Funks being one of them, which was a very um, popular, very mainstream project that many people um, were a part of in the summer of last year. And um, the Azuki's, I mean, the the floor price dropped massively. Um, the The community went crazy and they were like, you're telling me that this this person who who has not been doxxed, right? They're using an alias, is now openly admitting that a couple of the rug pulls that hurt a lot of people in this NFT space, right? That that really were, um, you know, things that you know a lot of people looked at as uh, a black eye on on the space. Um, that this person that was you know getting rewarded with this you know a massively successful blue chip project, you know, had had been a part of or even ran. Um, a couple of these rug pulls. And for me, you know, I had to sit with this a little bit because I, I, you've heard me say on past episodes, there is risk versus reward on people doxing themselves, right? Because I believe, I believe we are all human. We all have made mistakes in our lives. We all have um, some version of skeletons in our closet or things that people, um, I mean, we as a society are very quick to cancel people or to judge people. Um, and then you put uh, someone's alias or anonym, uh, you know, being uh, anonymous behind it. Well, now we even are a little bit even more jaded, right? And I support people that are, you know, th- that have decided to, you know, be behind uh, a, a pseudonym or uh, not expose their their full first name, last name, um, for whatever reasons. Maybe it's to protect their family. Maybe it's because their job, their full time job. Uh, would be in jeopardy. Maybe it's because there's other things in play that um, that they know would be drastically impacted if this was um, exposed. But with that comes additional risk. And part of that risk, in my personal opinion, this is just my opinion, not financial advice, not personal advice, but like when you screw up or something is exposed about who you are or failures you've had, it's actually heightened because we've been worried the whole time of like, who is this person? Why aren't they giving us their first name and last name? And let's also be real. Like a lot of people really haven't doxxed themselves uh, at the way that I believe true doxing should be, right? Like if you are truly going to own things, like you should put your name, your company, your business, your personal brand, your things on the line, right? Like let's, let's face it, just, just posting a photo and saying, hey, this is who I am and this is my first name, like hey, that's a great step in the right direction, but that also doesn't, you know, allow us to trust, uh, you know, at a deeper rate. And the reason all of this kind of comes full circle is like part of what I've always believed is transparency for me, pressing the damn button, putting myself out there, right? I'm very vulnerable, even on this episode, right? I've shared things that maybe uh, hopefully isn't making anyone uncomfortable or triggered. And if it did, I, I do apologize, but hopefully it allowed you in a little bit to understand me at my core a little bit more. But I will say part of that is also a selfish agenda that I, I, I've figured out that I gain freedom by sharing openly and being transparent. It allows me to take a power away from the haters, the naysayers, those that are going to judge me because I'm like, Hey, I own my life. I own that I'm going through a divorce. I own the ADHD struggles that I have. I own my success and my failures. 
And part of that for me is that because I also know that I will make mistakes in the future. I am not perfect and I don't believe anyone is perfect. And I believe part of this narrative that the Azuki's founder um, is now kind of coming under is like, imagine if that was part of the story the whole time. It changes the way that we have to think of things. And I even think of, you know, when you're supporting a project where the founders are are behind, a, a, you know, uh, are not doxxed, you're definitely going to have our guard up. We're going to be quicker to pull the trigger and jump ship because we we have that like insecurity a little bit. And I say all that because here's the truth is that that also can be something that triggers that imposter syndrome, right? Because now there's like, and I, and I, I got reached, I, there was a couple of people that reached out via Twitter after I tweeted about the Azuki's thing. And like, Brian, I, you know, I told you about this thing I had in my past and that I, I loved web three because they weren't going to judge me for it or they weren't going to penalize me for it. Or, you know, some of the other things that were going to go along uh, the way. And I'll say like, like I despise cancel culture because it almost, we've got to this like spot where we like, we assume or we make these judgments that like, you know, we are throwing stones, you know, you know, from, you know, at glass houses, from glass houses, we are, we are making things like, you know, and we do this to celebrities, especially where we will make, like, we will bury them because, um, they did something wrong in their personal life. They cheated on their taxes. They, um, cheated on their spouse. They, they, um, weren't there at all of their kids' baseball games, um, that they put their business in front of their family, whatever those things may be. But we also have to be honest with there are plenty of people that are our family, our friends, even ourselves that have walked in many of those st- those uh, those shoes. And I think it's such an interesting you know, place for us to be. And I like to believe that Web3 is a place that allows us to forgive, allows us to reinvent, allows us to reimagine. But I will also say this is that with that, you also have to understand there is still risk and there is still this element of like how you're going to be judged, what people are going to say about you. And I had to learn this the hard way because the more I owned my ADHD, the more it felt like it gave me freedom, but the more it actually scared away some people from working with me. And I understood it's because for them, they looked at just like the, the sports coach looked at it when I would cry on the bench, they looked at it as a sign of weakness. And it takes a while for people to realize that like owning our vulnerabilities, putting ourselves out there is actually a sign of massive strength. It's also a sign of us like really wanting to, to own the fact that like we are relatable, in my opinion, much more through our vulnerabilities than we are our strengths. I believe we connect deeper with people that we have on our, our chosen family, right? And I'm a big fan of, like, I'm very blessed. I have an amazing family that I was born into, but I also have an amazing chosen family that I surround myself with that are my people. And I know that it's, that we are bonded not because of the successes I've had in my life, but in many cases because of the things I've gone through, the things that, that I've been able to accomplish, the things that I've been help, been able to help them go through. And so for all of those that are out there that are struggling with like, will this project sell out? Is it the right time to launch a project or how much should I you know, put out into uh, the environment? How much should I um, share? What's, what's the right number of collection? You know, I will just tell you that like, first off, you're not alone. 
you know, we are we're launching, you know, our next project here with the the team, and it's something I think about every single day. Like, should we launch? How many should we launch? When should we launch? What is the marketing plan? What's the and this is coming from someone that is press the damn button. And I've also launched two other, you know, NFT projects. And I will say part of the magic, I believe, of this space is that like you don't you definitely don't know how things are going to often re- re- react or um, be kind of taken in. But I do know that if you are committed to the roadmap and the utility, you are committed to the value that you are providing someone and you are not, you have no plans on running away. You have no plans of faking it till you make it. You have no plans of even uh, of giving up because the times early are tough. And that's, that's probably the hardest part, right? Like we have to, we have to put this out there, right? Like we, we can be overwhelmed by like, what if this collection sells out and we sell 10,000 of them? It's going to disrupt my whole life. We also have to have the flip of it, right? What if we sell five and we know those five people are, have the same last name as us? What if I only sell five of these NFTs? What, what, what is my plan? And your plan might be, hey, if it doesn't sell a certain amount, I'm not going to be able to commit what I wanted to. And maybe that's, that's when I refund people that, that spent that were early, uh, early in, right? I think that's, that's a reasonable um, you know, part of this whole journey. The other thing is that I think we have to just kind of own is like we have to be willing to adapt and adjust and being willing to own that, right? And so like if your project doesn't sell out and your roadmap had certain things on it based on certain dates, like maybe you, you, you're you going to have to just own the fact like, hey, community, you know, this was based on us selling 500 of these NFTs. We only have sold 200 now. So we're going to adjust the dates a little bit to give us a little bit more breathing room. Also allow us to try to, you know, uh, you know, figure out our budget side. And, and I know like the, the, the advisors are going to say, well, you have to have all of that planned early on. And I'm here to tell you one thing, one thing truthfully that I believe success in web three is not about having a perfect plan ahead of time. It's about leaning in to market trends. It's about leaning in to the way that the, 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 your audience and the customer base and the way that this market is kind of going, leaning into that and adjusting your utility, adjusting your roadmap, embracing new opportunities. But it's not about just jumping on the next shiny object. It's about embracing it and understanding it so that it's the best for your project. I believe the key is... If you have success defined and you know what your goals are to achieve that success, it's okay to pivot, adapt, and change everything else around that so that it still gets you to that goal so you still are achieving that that long-term success. So for all those that are struggling to put themselves out there, maybe you're struggling to undo, you know, to dox yourself. Maybe you're you're struggling to like, hey, why should I launch my own project or why would anyone um, you know, buy my NFT. Here's the truth is like, what is the world missing if you don't do it, right? Let's take that ownership away from you. And because I will tell you, that's what happens here on the podcast. There are plenty of days where I'm like, man, I'm not sure today is the day I feel like being a, a thought leader or I feel like interviewing someone or I feel like putting things out there or being inspirational or being motivational, but then I, I recognize it's like, what does that tell my audience, my community that, that trusts me to be here every day, that trusts me to, to, you know, to show up? Like showing up is, 
is really all I have to do, right? And I'm very blessed that so many of you listen, so many of you, um, you know, embrace and on and are open and are willing to connect with me and, and come along with me on this journey. But for those that are struggling, you aren't alone. For those that are 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 looking at others and and wondering like why do they successful or what why it must be nice to be them. Let's also just remember like there's lots of decisions that we make that we don't understand that what people make that affords a lot of people, you know, the opportunities to where they're at, right? Like we can say like, man, it must be nice to be in this, you know, to drop an NFT project last year and sell out. But they were probably also making decisions that we probably wouldn't have made ourselves. They were making sacrifices that we weren't willing to make. And this is something that I often tell myself is like, how do I know that I want that, what that success is that someone else has? Because I don't know what they've sacrificed to get there. And, and I think that's kind of like a very interesting place that we are in. And then lastly, you know, your voice, your message needs to be heard. I believe everyone that's listening to this podcast right now, you have a story to tell. I believe you have an impact to make on this world. It doesn't have to be your own NFT collection. I actually believe we should have more you know, people and more projects and more um, communities coming together to be able to rally together. Like, I don't believe we have to do all of this by ourselves. We should be able to, to grow a lot of these teams. And, and even if your team, like I, I mean, this is how I look at it, right? If our team is a team of 10 and we're helping launch one project, ultimately we should be able to together launch 10 projects, one that each one of the people on that team, if they wanted to, uh, you know, are a part of. And then lastly, you know, the other part of this, I just wanted to also caveat is like, let's be very careful on like who we're judging people and how and why, because we don't often know a lot of the decisions that are going into this. And I will also say like, it's partially why for me, I struggle to support projects that have non-doxed founders. But if I do, if I don't know the person's name or their background that is a founder of an NFT project, I will tell you, like, I have my guard up a little bit more with them than I do other projects. They're not going to get as much lead wave from me as they would have if, if I knew that their name and their brand and their business was on the line. They're not going to get as much um, forgiveness as those that I can look in their digital eyeballs that aren't afraid to get on video. But that's a, that's a, that's a risk that, that comes with the fact that they're not willing to do that. And I think we can each make that decision for ourselves. And I just think for, for me, it's less about like judging others and more about understanding, Hey, these are what others, these are the decisions others that have made. And I just have to figure out what's that's best for me. And I really hope, you know, that you will be heard. I will hope that you will press the damn button. And there is no perfect time to drop an NFT project. There is no perfect way. There's no exact marketing plan. There's not a best time in the market, right? Is the market being the market down? Is it, is it at the best time to drop a project? Or if the market's rising up and everyone's jumping into all of these other projects, they might not even want to jump into a new project, right? Like there is no perfect time, perfect solution, perfect Um, any of these things, what we have to start learning on is like, how can I lean in? How can I adapt? How can I, how can I understand what's best for me and my audience? And then when I do launch, what are the plans that I have in place that if, okay, maybe if we don't sell out, we will do this, or we will burn this many, or we will cap, we will cap the collection at this many, um, total on, on our first version. 
All of these are things that I think we can factor in to our plans and to our success. But I think the biggest disservice that we can make is to continue to put roadblocks and excuses in our way from getting started. There is really two things that I believe that you need to get over for you to get started. The first one is you have to believe and own that perfection is a fairy tale and that you are never, your goal is not to be perfect. Your goal is to do the best that you can in those moments at that time. And then the second rule is pretty simple. Control is an illusion. You cannot control anything but yourself. You cannot control the market. You cannot control how people see you. You cannot control if something goes viral. You cannot control if all of a sudden all of the, the whales jump into your project. You can only control yourself. And if you can remember those two things, I believe getting started pressing the damn button or as Nike likes to say, just do it is, is the next best action. And I believe that's where all the magic comes. Because I will tell you, if I didn't press the damn button on this podcast five days after we came up with the idea, none of you would be listening to me right now. I wouldn't be able to make the impact that I know I'm making if it wasn't for the fact that I just said, F it, I'm just going to press the damn button and we're going to adapt. We're going to try these things out as we go. When I think of it that way, man, I get a little emotional because I'm so freaking blessed that I pressed the damn button because it's allowed me to get to know all of you. It's allowed us to come on this journey together to educate, to inspire, to motivate, and hopefully to change the world together. My name is Brian Fanzo, digital futurist, keynote speaker, far from perfect. I am a proud girl dad. I am ADHD superpowered, born and raised in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, but more so than anything else, I am a human just like everyone else, and we're all on this journey together. You are not alone, and trust me, it's going to be a fun ride from here on out, as long as you're willing to own that you have a story to tell, that you are important. And that together we're going to make the world a better place. Until tomorrow, my friends, cheers. Bye.